This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Leadership in Action on Business Radio. Oh my goodness. <laughs> How do you like that intro? I, I, I mean, I feel smart or something. <laughs> yes. Sim- I'm taller. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to Leadership in Action. <laughs> this is Sirius XM, Business Radio, Channel 132. You're Ann Greenhall. And you're Jeff Klein. All right. All right. <laughs> so, hello, listeners. Um, we have a really good show. We're really excited about this show, right? <laughs> We're going to in a in a couple minutes, but we'll we'll get ourselves warmed up here. Um, we're going to invite two guests, co-authors, onto the show, um, and they think a lot about how to reimagine, how to reinvent um, your company, your organization, your endeavor from a position of strength. Mm. And now, Anne, you know this yeah. this would connect. To yeah. work that I know you and I are both passionate about, because these these co-authors come to us from both the the world of business yes. and executive leadership, as well as the world of elite athletics. Okay, you're right. And um, <laughs> you know, I I spent the morning with uh, uh, the morning prior to this part of the morning with our pens. Penn's men's basketball team. Yes, yes. Right? right. Having a conversation about leadership and followership and what happens before the game and, and how that supports what happens during the game. You know, and you've been with this Penn Athletics Leadership, Wharton Leadership Academy for right. some time. Right. So, what are some of the ways or what are some of the maybe the parallels that, that you've identified between? Leading a team in an organization and leading an athletic team, like what? What are some of the bridges for you there? Well, I so appreciate that you asked that, Jeff. Uh, one of the, as I think I mentioned to you earlier today, one of the new recruits, Jordan Dingle, a freshman, is yeah. on the basketball team, and he has the uh, distinction of being the freshman who scored the most points ever in Penn basketball history. As a freshman, points. 24 points in the against opening Alabama. against Alabama. That's right. Upset victory. And uh, he... See you in March. <laughs> See you in March, huh? yeah. He's, uh, he is uh, reserved. Uh-huh. Uh, and I think someone who likes to lead by example. Mm-hmm. And uh, he asked me a question in the course of our opening uh, class on, you know, leadership, teamwork, communication, all of that. He asked me about how you overcome stage fright because he said he's he's anxious about presenting, doing presentations. And the students were all giving client presentations. So I turned it around and I asked him, well, what do you do to prepare to go out in the palestra with, you know, hundreds of people looking at you? And he said, well, the first thing I do is prepare. (laughs) So... It's the same thing (laughs) before you go at game time, before you go out and you give a presentation, you prepare. And then, you know, what do you do when you're out on the court? You know, (laughs) and he said, well, you know, I warm up a little bit. I make myself feel at home. I've got some rituals I do. 
You do the same thing when you give a presentation. You go out, you organize the desk, move right. the chairs around. And then, you know, what do you, what do, you do those, afterwards? Tie those laces a little <laughs> tie tighter. Tie the laces a little tighter. What do you do after? Well, you know, I think about what I did well, how I might improve. Right. So, well, you do the same thing after you've given a presentation. Very good. So, you know, I think that there are many uh, transferable experiences and and skills. And it can take a moment to realize the connection, but they are absolutely there. All right. All right. Well, I think, um, thank you. And, <laughs> and I, I think with that as a prelude, uh, let me welcome our guests onto the show. So um, I am delighted to welcome uh, Jim Snaba and Mikhail Trolla, who are the co-authors of a new book, and that is Dreams and Details, Reinvent Your Business and Your Leadership from a Position of Strength. Uh, Jim first, and, and then Mikhail, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much, uh, Jeff. Uh, it's uh, great to be on the show, uh, and I uh, look forward to an um, engaging discussion about reinvention. I think we live in times where that is uh, absolutely must for most organizations. Mm. Very good. Th good. Thank you, Jim. And, and Mikhail, welcome to you as well. Thank you very much. Uh, delighted introduction and uh, some parallels already to sports, so that's, that's for sure something that we will look further into when we start to discuss. <laughs> very good. Yeah, absolutely. And let me, um, just for our listeners, let me say a little bit about both your backgrounds, um, and then we'll be, we'll be happy to uh, dive into both this discussion and, um, and into Dreams and Details, the, the book which led to the foundation of the Dreams and Details Academy. So, um, Jim, you are chairman of the supervisory board of Siemens AG, um, on the board for AP Muller Maersk, and then also chairman of the Dreams and Details Academy. Um, and you have a, um, a, a long history with, uh, you know, executive leadership, um, primarily at SAP, spent some time at IBM, um, and, and you've been in both executive positions and, and board positions there. Um, Jim, how how did you get interested and and kind of energized to write a book like this? Well, you know, it comes a lot from my many years in the IT industry. Mm -hmm. um, it is an industry that has these inflection points again and again, um, where um, if you don't see it coming and if you don't um, reposition your company and, and kind of reinvent it. Uh, you could have been the leader in the past, but you become relatively fast uh, irrelevant. Uh, mm -hmm. And and so that has been kind of a, uh, the, the, the game in the IT industry always. And I grew up and was lucky enough to uh, start my career with SAP, you know, one of the only really European global uh, champions in the software industry. Um, and obviously spending more than 20 years there and, and a few years with IBM, you reflect on how come that SAP actually made it. Um, how come, you know, against all odds, you could argue, a European company makes it uh, in, in to be the leader in, in the business software category. And um, I came to the conclusion that the company had always been good at challenging itself when it was at its peak. Mm. Um, and and I experienced it myself as well when I became the co-CEO together with my good friend and partner, Bill McDermott, in 2010. The company had this assumption that we had already won uh, the game for, you know, uh, business software. And, and the two of us agreed to 
reinvent the company, and then we began a process to to do that again from a position of strength. And uh, you know, four years later, we had doubled the revenue and the value of the company, which most people, when we started this journey, uh, seemed to believe was impossible. We had already won. And, and so there was a learning in that, and, and, and then you, when I step down as the executive role, you get time to reflect, what is it that makes you able to do that, and why are so many companies failing? And I think the times we live in now, where digital disruption is happening in all industries, mm-hmm. in all companies, the average lifespan of a company is dramatically reduced, uh, then it's obvious that this is something we need to learn, and, and my conclusion um in particular, when I met Michael from the world of sports, was that we can learn a lot from sports and we need to have a new leadership model in business, which is inspired by sports, but of course uh, adjusted to business. And that led me to try to write the book together with Michael. And we spent, I don't know, 20 iterations in reinventing the book as well until we finally understood the eight elements that make up a new leadership model for uh, this um, very dynamic time in history. And, and uh, Michael, let me bring you into the conversation as well. You, um, uh, for for much of your early night life, were known as an international volleyball player um, uh, in Denmark, and then were the head coach uh, for a number of years of the men's national volleyball team. Um, you know the 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 team in Denmark known as a, a cohesive, a well-developed elite sports team. Um, and you, you returned in, in 2014. Um, you've been the CEO and sports director of Volleyball Denmark. Um, I think I have that you've coached more than 350 just men's national volleyball team matches. Mm. Um, what was it about the the experience as both a player or a coach and its connection to to reinvention that that got you excited about uh, working with Jim on this book and and ultimately the Dreams and Details Academy. I mean, first of all, <clears throat> I've always been very very interested in uh, in leadership in in different domains. You know, so that has been my passion. Uh, I've always worked mainly in the sports world, as mm-hmm. you said, as CEO and sports director, and with high performance teams. When you're working with a national team, uh, and uh, actually a lot inspired by the American uh, sport of culture. Uh, in basketball, American mm-hmm. football, and especially in volleyball, where mm-hmm. America and the United States are doing a, a really impressive job, uh, going to the Olympics all the time, uh, developing players from uh, universities and, and colleges. So that's really Im- impressive. But but I've always been in a strange situation because what we are stating a lot in the book is is very much inspired by things known in talent work, how to uh, kind of motivate and commit players, the leadership that is, uh, that is in, in many sports well known as a crucial factor to, to create results, but also this kind of idea uh, where you constantly focus on further development, reinventing the game, reinventing the players, trying to unleash the potential in a very short period of, of their lifespan, so to say, like 10, 15 years. And I held a lot of, of, of keynotes in business, and they always told me that, okay, Michael, this is really inspiring, but, you know, the business world is different. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I was so concerned about I, I couldn't really understand that because, in the end, we're talking about human development. Yeah. Uh, and um, Jim was the first business leader that I met in, 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 in my past that, that really 
kind of uh, listened, but also understood what I think I was trying to get across. And I think when when Jim is explaining the success of all the companies he had in, he had impacted both as as the CEO but also as as chairman, I, I can just see that it's so similar. So for me, it was a kind of relief in in '16 uh, when we just by coincidence more or less were were uh, teaching at the uh, business school of Copenhagen together. Uh, with the same students, and we found out this. We're talking about exactly the same, and this should and must be described even further. There must be something uh, regarding a model that could actually outcompete some of the general ways of doing things that has been uh, the common way to do it in in, in business previously. And of course, uh, that inspired me a lot. So uh, let me remind our listeners that this is Leadership in Action on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. I'm your host, Jeff Klein, and I'm here in the studio with my good buddy, Anne Greenhall. And we're talking with Jim Snaba and Michael Trolla about their book, Dreams and Details, Reinvent Your Business and Your Leadership from a Position of Strength, as well as the work that they've done in founding the Dreams and Details Academy. So, Anne, over to you. Yeah. Well, again, really a pleasure uh, to have a chance to speak with both of you, Jim and Michael. I really like the title of your book, Dreams and Details. And I'm wondering, uh, when, when, I, when I hear that title, I think about maybe the distinction between um, potential on the one hand, what we might dream to be, and then perhaps the detail or the reality and maybe the, the innate talent that we may possess. And I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about maybe that tension between the, you know, the ideal and the reality, the dreams and the detail, the potential and the talent. Sure, Jim, yeah, I could maybe t- take a stab at that. I mean, um, you know, we thought long and hard about the title and uh, this concept is really challenging, let's say, normal uh traditions in leadership and business where we we translate strategies into business plans and um, and then we you know basically try and measure whether we deliver on the business plans and and we do business reviews on the KPI to see if we deliver on the plan and then we celebrate if we you know make the plan and we, we fundamentally believe that that approach will always limit organizations to the imagination that the people had who made the plan Uh And in in a time where the future is becoming more uh, difficult to predict, um, Mm. by definition, the plan will always be wrong because things are changing at such a high speed. So so we said, what if we, instead of instructing people on what to do, what if we could inspire them to um, a future description of what the company can become? Mm -hmm. And that's the dream. It's about translating strategy into something that's inspirational, not something that's logical. It's about translating strategy into something that's not prescriptive on how to get there, um, and, but um, allows people to basically be creative and unleash their human potential in finding the better way there. And, 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 and in particular, if you want to reinvent a company from a position of strength, the issue you have is that you don't have a burning platform. And, and we always argue that you need, you know, the burning platform, you need this catastrophe coming in order for people to be willing to change. Well, what if we could create a burning desire instead? 
mm, nice. a description yeah. of a future which is much more inspiring. And with that, they create, let's say, the foundation for change. Mm. And the details is really about enabling the organization to be at its best in the areas that are most important in order to unleash that dream. Mm. So having a dream is not enough. You've got to actually, as a leader, spend your time on the critical details, those that matter the most, to unleash that uh, dream. And and that's what you know where the where the world of sport comes in. In sports, they they train in the training room. They train and train and train in business. We're always playing the match, you know, every yeah. single day and every single quarter. And we need to spend more time training the capabilities that will unlock the potential of the dream, which is really about the new capabilities of the organization, the roles that we don't have today that we need tomorrow, and the way they need to interact with the current organization so that we can enable the organization to find its own way on how to unleash the potential of the dream. Very good. So I'm wondering if you might give a concrete illustration of that, uh, Jim. Can, you know, maybe a a before-after. So an organization that is taking the more traditional approach of strategy and then plans, as opposed to the organization that is thinking in a more aspirational way about potential and what it can become. Well, I think my experience as co-CEO of SAP is probably a good example. It's also uh, well described in the book. I had this, you know, moment when you become appointed as a CEO, uh, and in my case, together with a, a good friend and partner, Bill McDermott, that we could, you know, we had the permission to go and, and reinvent the company. Um, and and before we started that journey, the company was run. In a traditional way, you could argue, we had you know, business plans. They cascaded down into organizations. Uh, I think we calculated when we started that we had in total 5,000 KPIs that were all <laughs> around trying to measure whether we were doing what we had said we would do, i.e. execute mm-hmm. the plan. Mm-hmm. And, and the projection of revenue was you know, single-digit growth rates because you know, that was the logic of the plan. And we would do business reviews every quarter. And if, in case we were behind plan, the likelihood would be that we would have more business reviews, as if that would make the organization better. Um, and so we started a process to think, in, instead of taking what, the point of departure in where are we today, we said, what is it we do as an organization? What is our purpose? What is the core of what we do? And we figured out we're actually managing, helping companies manage resources. We said, well, in a world with 7 billion people and and resources becoming more and more constrained, what if we could help manage resources across entire value chains? What if we could help actually the world manage these scarce resources in more efficient ways? Um, So that became the core of the transformation and inspiring translation of what we do into something that was meaningful in the world. We looked at, you know, growth opportunities in adjacent markets. And we ended up with a vision to double uh, the size of the company and, 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 and the strengthening of our purpose to uh, make the world run better, not just make uh, individual companies run better and, and improve people's lives. And, and that rallied an organization uh, to uh, look at the opportunities instead of look at the limitations of the markets we had already conquered. Mm-hmm. We actually entered into new, three new segments, and 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 it became basically a, a, a path to double the addressable market, and and create an amazing growth company, as we call it. We had this um, 
mindset installed in, in the organization. Imagine if we could touch a billion people with our software. And that was a way to inspire people to think simplicity. Um, so you had a strong purpose, you had a very ambitious um, vision for what we could become, mm-hmm. and we had this um, idea that we could touch a billion people with our software. At the time, we had only, you know, uh, around 50 million users. So it was very inspirational. Um, and then, of course, we had to uh, take care of the details, which was basically two things we need to. We needed to get obsessed with customer value rather than just selling our software. We need to make sure that it was used and creating value much faster and, and, and much more efficient at customers. And most importantly, we needed to reinvent our innovation process. We were, you know, as most large companies, too slow. And we said, let's double the speed of innovation. And we spent all of our time as leaders to inspect and innovate those processes around the customer, around innovation. And because we spend our time there, the results came automatically because we could double the innovation path to customers. We took better care of our customers, and therefore the results came as a consequence of a dramatic change in two details that matters to unleash that mm-hmm. potential of doubling the size of the company. Very good, Jim. Well, thank you for that example, and I want Jeff to get a word in edgewise. <laughs> and, and I'll bring Michael back into this conversation. Um you know, I, I, I'm curious, Michael, as, as you reflect back on, on a career as, as a player and a coach, um, how, did, how did this notion of reinvention and reimagining and, you know, big ambitious vision, how did that show up uh, within your career? I think it was driven by uh, a kind of idea that if I have to be quite honest, if we had made a plan that was result-oriented and achievable from the standpoint where we started, Mm -hmm. it would have been killed instantly by the assumptions that this is never, ever going to happen. It's not possible. Um, I think the the best experience I had was actually not being the, the, the head coach of the men's national team, but actually gaining youngsters in the area around Copenhagen, having a big dream to play with all the best teams in in Europe. Europe is a very strong country regarding volleyball. Mm -hmm. We wanted to go to the Champions League, Mm -hmm. like you know it from from soccer, for instance. And that is absolutely impossible, not buying any pro players. And that was why I was so inspired by also the American model with the universities and the colleges. And... um, and that was why we created this dream with these guys. That was we wanted to to achieve the possibility to play with the best players in the world. And you know that's not a result. That's a dream about entering an arena where all the greatest players are in the same room, mm-hmm. and you're actually uh, achieving or you deserve in some way to be positioned there as a great person to be acknowledged and loved by that. And it creates such a, a kind of a meaningful integrated driven motivation for persons if you if you know a little bit more about that you know how strong a driver that could be and um, and that that was actually more or less our our dream and ambition and then the mindset obviously would be kind of uh, directed towards okay then how do we need to play Mm -hmm. i mean what does it take to be allowed to open that door and enter that arena and instantly, when you create that, players would ask themselves, okay, what kind of role, I mean, what kind of number, what kind of shirt do I need to wear to be available and acknowledged 
to be able to open that door and enter that room? And what kind of skills do I need to to develop? And and actually, many of the players needed to change dramatically. And just to being allowed to unleash your potential in that way, in, in collaboration with others within the framework that you create, is a kind of a po- positive circle, mm-hmm. but you're never talking about the results that you actually want to create in there. And, and you know, coming from a small country, having that kind of great idea or dream to, to be among the greatest uh, uh, club teams maybe in the world was, was actually something that could be achieved within two years, but it was also, it was kind of dynamic. It could be achieved within five years. Mm-hmm. So you're not limiting yourself by the, 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 the plan or your belief when when you take off on this journey you just know what it takes and as long as you can actually work on it and you can see progress you can measure your uh, your performance and your your ability to to play the game in that way you're constantly driven to be a part of that arena and that is also why we in the in the dream perspective in our model, talk about direction as a so important part, but also the market, or in a volleyball sense or sports kind of comparison, you could talk about an arena that you want to enter, and mm-hmm. you talk about how you would actually enter that arena, what you become on the journey that allows you to open the door and enter the arena, and you're not talking about winning the matches, because you know that that is maybe in, in, in some part limiting your, your belief and in, in ability to unleash the, unleash the dream. So, so that was actually what we did. And I mean, we, we did two times. We, we, we came to the final, final six uh, the first time in 91 and, and, and final eight in, in 96 among the best, best, best teams in the world and could play with them and was known as this kind of ugly duckling, you know? Mm-hmm. H.E. Anderson, this team of Copenhagen that nobody actually believed could do it. Uh, and it was done through this model, but, uh, but the, at that team we just called it the, the volleyball team Copenhagen spirit, you know? Mm-hmm. The team was called Halte EF Volleyball, but, you know, it had a specific spirit. And, and when I got together with Jim and we were looking into that, we, we saw the same things was happening in other domains, in culture, in, 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 in business also, and it was the same kind of approach. And that was why it was so important for us to try to describe it in this, this model and, and try to, to argue that there's, a, there's a, a different way to do this that is maybe able to outcompete what we've been able to do before. That's great, Michael. And I, I really appreciate the detail that that you went into there. Um, I, I'm I'm curious about so many different segments of this. So um, we've been talking about the dreams and details model and and the framework and um, that 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 really undergirds the platform here. Uh, Michael had been had been providing this example of um, what it took for that club team from Copenhagen, and and it. It just it brought me back to conversations that we've had with a number of the um, student athletes here on campus, and the uh, especially the captains, right? The captains and the coaches who are looking for sort of great examples of inspiration. And and so I, I'd like to put this question to to both of you, and I'll start with you, Jim. Um, when you think about inspiration, um, you know. What does it sound like? What does it feel like? What does it taste like? Um, what works well when trying to create the kind of inspiration to that ambitious vision, that purpose um, that we've been discussing? 
Well, you know, first of all, I would say it tastes really well. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. (laughs) And um, I think it comes uh, from, you know, being part of something that's meaningful. Mm -hmm. Um, If I take my earlier example of SAP, if, if, if what you do is you build and sell some software, that's not necessarily what people will get up for every morning. But if what you do is to help the world manage scarce resources and, and improve people's lives, there's a different meaning to that. Um, so I think the, the dream has to be closely connected to the purpose of the organization. And in these days, we see how purpose matters more and more, also in, in even attracting talent. And the purpose of the organization has to be so meaningful that people will basically do what's necessary to perform at their best. And then leadership needs to allow them to do that. We've not done that in the last 200 years of industrialization where we try to mass produce and therefore instruct people what to do. So we need to unleash that human potential based on on that very clear uh, and ambitious dream that inspires people for meaningfulness. Uh, In the book, we use the you know, very used example of uh, John F. Kennedy's uh, Let's Put a Man on the Moon and Back Again Safely. Mm-hmm. And it's a good example of something that is totally inspiring. It inspired not a whole, not only a whole nation. I think it inspired most nations around the world, with a few exceptions. <laughs> um, and, and there was no plan at the time, uh, but there was a very clear direction. There was a very strong ambition. There was a strong mindset around safety. Um, and and that became the source, I believe, of inspiration for the U.S. to become the technological leader. Um, and that has been the case ever since. I think very much driven by that dream that inspired people and found ways and innovations in areas that mattered not just for a moon landing, but in fact for technological leadership. Uh, out of the U.S. Um, mm. That's the ultimate example of a dream that inspires where how to get there is unclear, but it is so meaningful that people will do their utmost if you give them the chance. Uh, uh, and, Michael, as you think about this, um, and and certainly uh, the the Kennedy speech, you know, we, we don't do it because uh, it's easy, we do it because it's hard, um, you know, does serve as that that inspirational, you know, kind of message heard around the world. How much of inspiration for you is in that sort of vocal call to action? How much of it is in the the quieter role model leaders who attend to, you know, r- really set the standard in terms of what it's like to be a teammate, what it's like to be um, a part of an organization? But I think it's, it's both. I mean, Jim is talking about uh, leadership that is able to communicate uh, the the greater purpose mm-hmm. of why we are here and, yeah. and and what we are actually trying to do together. But I think inspiration needs to, to be that, but it also, of course, it needs to be inspirational for each and everyone, the individual. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, what we maybe are not so aware of is what is actually the the main drivers of the human being. And the main drivers of a human being is actually being positioned uh, at the right time and the right place in your life journey, so to say, being recognized for who you are, the competence you have for the, the way you are traveling through your life together with others. And in team sports and, 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 and organizations and so on, 
it, 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 it is a very, very important part of understanding the journey of a human being through their business life, sports life, life in general. And uh, in that case, you need autonomy, but you also, if you use that autonomy to, to kind of uh, uh, travel through your life in that way, adjust your capabilities and being recognized, you will create followership. And that is the inspiration for the individual is actually being on a journey with others, with your teammates, being an essential part of that team, being recognized for who you are and what you can contribute with, uh, so that the journey would be successful. <laughs> and being a part of that, you would constantly be acknowledged and loved by kind of playing that role. And that is the big inspiration for the individual to take part in such a journey. And, you know, that can be carried out in many different kinds of domains in our lives, depending on, on our our kind of path through uh, through, through the lifespan that we have as as biological kind of uh, individuals. And um, I think that's very important to understand that that is, that is actually what the dreams and detail model, leadership model contains as a very important part is that ability to constantly unleash, but also make sure that people are actually positioned, positioned in the right way during that journey. So they would constantly be inspired to find their way to unfold whatever their potential would be and be loved and, and acknowledged by that. And that is the kind of individual kind of inspiration or kind of meaningfulness that is uh, so important for each individual uh, in, in this model. But it, it, it kind of taps into the overall purpose of the company or the journey or, or, or what we're actually here to do together. Michael and, and Jim, the word strength in your title also resonates, I'm going to say, with Jeff and me, because here at our university, we have a strong uh, department in positive psychology. So we talk a lot about leading with your strengths. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to start with you, Michael Trolla, and then to you, Jim Snabe, and ask, what do we do about weaknesses, whether they are organizational or individual? So, Michael, you first. I think I... I can. It is a big, big question, but uh, I try to to make it, it it's the answer short. I have made all the the errors regarding that. <laughs> I have learned about positive psychology very late in my <laughs> coaching career, and you know I think uh, building from strength is undervalued. I mean, you should you should build people uh, and create people from their strength because. Uh, developing people from a, uh, a level of, of high self-esteem is very, very important. And we have not been able to do that in sports uh, uh, back in time. I mean, we maybe did the same kind of uh, errors that is done in, and has been done in business also, looking at the players as resources. Mm -hmm. So you, you have to build athletes, and you do not do that by working on their weaknesses so much. Instead, you build on their strength, mm -hmm. and by doing that, they would actually find out that they have the, the, the strength actually to also look at their weaknesses. Mm -hmm. You know, the weaknesses are more or less kind of, you catch them up as you're building yourself stronger, and the stronger you get, the more you make yourself kind of able to work also on your weaknesses. So you, you become resilient to, to, to 
kind of the, pro- the, the problems that you will actually run into, and you would be, be able to handle that also. So that is this kind of different approach to, to, to working on, on, on the weaknesses. Very good. Maybe, Jim Snabe, if you would take that just on the notion of weaknesses, maybe especially from an organizational perspective. Yes, I think um, many of the, uh, the, the weaknesses from an organizational point of view are actually designed in the way we fail to articulate the strategy and the way we you know, um, organize. Uh, so often it's not the individual that's weak. It's the conditions the individual is put in. So when, when I lead uh, as a CEO, but also as a chairman, I'm very um, keen on making sure the sequence of things is right. You start with strategy. What are we? What do we want to become? Mm-hmm. Then you have to discuss structure. So how do I structure the organization in such a way that I can become what I have in mind and not limit myself to what I am? And then you apply people. Um, Often we do it the other way around. We appoint people as the first thing. We call it the reorganization. And then people try and figure out what to do. And they're really set up for for failure, not for success. Um, We saw that at SAP. When we took away, let's say, the bureaucracy, uh, we took away the many hierarchies we had, and we organized around more agile uh, structures, uh, people were able to basically double their productivity. Uh, so they were set up for success mm-hmm. rather than failure. And, and suddenly you could see how much human potential there was if you had you know, strategy communicated in a way which inspired people and you had structured uh, the organization in a much more agile um, and, and forward-looking way and people had a chance to prove their true value um, and that basically doubled the value of the company. Mm-hmm. Very good. Jeff, you're probably going to want to do a reset. I have a feeling. <laughs> I think you know me pretty well, I know Anne. you pretty well. <laughs> All right. Well, then what I'll do is I'll tell our listeners that this is Leadership in Action. On this Sirius is XM. Yeah, it's Business Radio. It's 132, Sirius XM. And uh, our guests right now are the chairman and the CEO of the Dreams in Detail Academy. Um, That academy inspired from the book, Dreams in Details, Reinvent Your Business and Your Leadership from a Position of Strength. And we're talking with Jim Snaba and Michael Trolla. Yeah, I have a follow-up, if that's okay. Of course. Um, And this is to both both of you, Jim and Michael. I'm I'm interested, Jim, you've talked about being a co-CEO. And Jim and Michael, together, you are co-authors. And I'm just kind of curious to hear you talk about what what does it take, Jim, to be successful as a co-CEO? That's not a typical model that we, you know, that we bump into. And then maybe to you, Michael, from your perspective, what does it take to be successful as a co-author? So, Jim, you first. Great question. Thank you. It's a question I often get and... and and let me start by saying it was, uh, of all the years I've had in fantastic companies, uh, the best time ever uh, because we had this partnership which was extremely productive. Now, most people assume that you cannot be co-CEO because the conventional wisdom of you know structures and hierarchies and leadership is about somebody must make the decision. Mm-hmm. Um, my experience is that if you are very complementary, so you come with different capabilities to the table, you could actually be more powerful together 
than individually. Um, you have, first of all, four ears and four eyes, which means you can better understand what's really going on, listen to your customers and understand markets. You have two brains, which means you can <laughs> actually make better decisions because you can discuss things and come mm -hmm. to wiser decisions and often debate would lead to a bigger and better decision. Mm -hmm. And you have four hands, which means you can execute those decisions much more rapidly. Um, so, so why isn't this model used more often? Well, I think two reasons for that. Number one, it's not a model which we traditionally think of as a good model. Right. Um, and because we come from, you know, kingdoms and, and, and other structures where it was clear who was in charge. Uh, with this dreams and details leadership model, we actually empower people to make the decisions. We see leadership as an enabler of people to making the choices so they find a better path. And, and therefore, the model is actually powerful in that model. But there's one fundamental pre prerequisite for this to work, which is that you are able and willing to forget your own ego. Uh, because it be if it becomes about you, this model doesn't work. It has mm -hmm. to become about the company, the success mm -hmm. of the company. And you have to be able to say yes to the following question. Can you be more successful together mm -hmm. than individually? Mm, that's great. And how about to you, Michael, just on some of the secrets to success on co-authorship? I can only add a, a few things to what Jim just described, because actually that is how it should work perfectly in the sports world also. I mean, we're talking yeah. about head coaches, assistant coaches, technical coaches, trainers. Mm -hmm. and but, you know, it's, it's teamwork. And, uh, I mean... In the end, actually, when I was coaching the men's national team, we, for the first time, coached through open microphones. Mm. So we had headsets in between all the coaches, and we talked ourselves through the matches, talking about inspiring each other, you know. I was asking, and I mean, that is constantly happening in sports, and, 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 and so that, that part is also changing a lot. And I would say that many of my decisions was was never taken by me, so to say. It was kind of of a merge of different kind of inspirations, different kind of uh, ideas, uh, different kind of feeling about what was going on in the match. And then in, in, in the end, if, if it was not, you know, a kind of a mutual decision, but it was a decision inspired by others. And I think, for instance, also about our book, Jim, Jim and I wrote together. I mean, many of the, the things that is in that book, I think, would never have been able to, to get down on paper if we have not... Uh, sat down together discussing things. <laughs> we did that also in the beginning. We had a girl that helps us a, a lot to make notes and so on because many things is actually developed through that process. So I totally agree with Jim. Uh, it's a kind of strange thing that we have had not, that we did not have this this kind of uh, idea before that that leadership should be conducted it in a kind of. Of, of a mutual room mm. of ideas and discussions and so on. And of course, then we have to make decisions at the right time uh, to, to help the organization and so on. But, but in the end, we need to be servant leaders for the one that, that needs to perform. And, and that is actually what we can be taught by sports because we can enter the court to play for the players, right? So, so I, I mean, you need to create a team around the players and, and create all the possibilities to help them and to enable them to play the game in the best way. And that's what we are there for. And, 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 and no one can do that alone. 
uh, you need a team to support the, the team of players to perform at their best. And that is obvious and, and logic. So it's kind of strange <laughs> that we have not been able to do that so much in the, in the present way of how to also develop sports. Yeah, so good. Well, thank you so much for those answers. I really appreciate it. And amazingly, we have reached the end of our hour here together. So, um, Jim and Michael, we want to thank you so much um, for joining us on the program this evening. And and for our listeners, if they want to find out more about, you know, the book as well as the Dreams and Details Academy, um, Jim, how would they do that? Well, we have a, a website where you can just go in uh, uh You'll see uh, uh, you know, elements of the book there. We have uh, a number of companies. So the Academy is really about teaching this leadership methodology. Mm-hmm. And, and we've seen uh, a very high demand for this. I think it has to do with the fact that we live in times where technology is dramatically changing the conditions in all industries. And there will be winners and losers. The good news is that the cake will be much bigger. Um, and these technologies can create a significantly better future. And, and we think it requires a different kind of leadership to get us there. And, and so we see this enormous demand for this kind of, of, of leadership model, which basically challenges the traditional model. And, and the academy is about teaching leaders how to do this uh, so that they can create high-performing teams that can reinvent themselves uh, in times where that is really needed. Fantastic. Reinvention, reimagining, yeah. um, and and moving from the, the burning platform to the burning desire. Yeah, I love that. All right. Well, <laughs> thank you. Uh, thank you again to both of you for joining us. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play.